the story of possession is the story of my life. Uh, this is the, the only film I've I've made in my um, uh, in my lifetime, which is really autobiographic. It says something, and this is the reason I wrote it about my personal problems as a man with a woman I dearly loved. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a film about about a breaking up. It's a, it's the film about the the end of a relationship of of a marriage. And I'm a strong believer in in couples, in marriages, in in children, and uh, most of the scenes which are uh, taking place between the man and the woman are really picked out of my life, from my life, and uh, even the dialogue. You can hate me as much as you like, but it's you who wants to know things for me. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. Hello. Hi. We couldn't be further from last week. We talked about um, a lot of like American 80s, I would say, B to D horror, which was uh, <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, this week, we couldn't be further away from that. We are solidly in the European art house horror realm, which I am just as at home in as... Uh, 80s American trash. I love them both equally. So this has been a, a fun contrast to me to uh, switch gears here. Dave has uh, curated this one, and I think we're going to start with the movie called Possession from 1981. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank all of my co-hosts for letting me choose five of the hardest to watch movies ever over the last two weeks. <laughs> uh, and it unintentionally take up two full episodes with my personal movie preferences. To address this, I'd like to quote Heinrich from uh, Possession in saying, I take what I want, and I'm at, at peace with myself. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a real apology, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. I'm just going with that. I, that's one of the many gems I extracted from well, this. You, yeah, you, you kind of hornswoggled. Last week, you kind of hornswoggled it. It wasn't supposed to go like that. Everyone was going on vacation. I was watching <laughs> horror movies. I was on the clock, all right? Were, so were, I feel were. like I came through You did. Something. You did. Um, but uh, Possession is a 1981 movie starring Sam Neill, Isabel Ejani, Heinz Bennett, and directed by Andrzej Zulowski, a uh, Polish director. Wow. I'm Polish. Have you been practicing? I'm Polish. <laughs> Somebody is ready to I go. Feel at home. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I feel the, threatened. <laughs> all his other movies are Polish. This is his only English language film. Possession takes place in Berlin, uh, right next to the Berlin Wall. And begins with Mark returning home from a top-secret spy mission to his wife, Anna, and son, Bob. Distant Anna is quickly caught having an affair uh, with Daddy of the Century, Heinrich. (laughs) (laughs) Century. (laughs) Uh, He's a confident, pseudo-intellectual, artistic type. um, And he may or may not know Kung Fu. uh, It's basically the worst-case scenario. Other man, there could be... um, He's always got his shirt unbuttoned mm. and his chest is, is like out like this confident, like uh, big dick energy. Yes. Um, and so this is like a, a volatile domestic drama 
uh, that unravels all the characters throughout the film, uh, like to the point where you're concerned for the well-being of the actors uh, because of how physically like demanding all these things must be and how masochistic the characters become over the course of the movie. Um, and in the middle of all this is a, a, a creature that begins manifesting in the corner of an apartment that Anna uses to escape to or she hangs out there. I didn't quite understand why they had that there, but they're like rich. He's a spy. So mm. um, the creature like seems to feed on not just only like human f- flesh, but also kind of like the anguish of the family and the, and the people around it just kind of has bad vibes overall. Um, their son, Bob, is very neglected and probably the ultimate victim of this whole movie. Mm. Um, the film is constantly raising questions about spirituality, uh, toxic relationships, um, morality, um, and sometimes directly into the camera, breaking the fourth wall, and then requiring like you to kind of emotionally dig around for the answers as you're kind of experiencing the movie. Um, and you know, there's all the kinds of symbolism around the creature, uh, what it means. It's a little bit uh, like a strange uh, thing to have in the midst of this relationship drama. Um, but there was like, you know, I think people talking about God, uh, maybe it's God, uh, it's the, the, the relationship itself. It's like a mold to me is what I, what I took out of it. And, um, the thing I like most about this movie is that like, I watched it one time and I thought it was like, um, Hellraiser. But not like boring. Or do you I was mean, like, this is like a boring Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I watched it a second time, and I thought, uh, oh, this. I I noticed some like political allegory. And then the third time I watched it, I was like, oh, this is like uh, actually a demonic possession. Um, and it and it, whereas before the relationship, you tend you tend to think that it's about the possession of another person and the expectations and the relationship and all that. And then the last time I watched it, I straight up thought it was a comedy. And I was like, this shit is so funny. Heinrich is the man. Like this homoerotic tug of war that they have um, between the the two guys I found to be very like artsy slapstick. And uh, I just loved how surreal this movie is. uh, And it's not really like as plot driven as it is like feeling driven. And uh, I loved it. What do you guys think? This is the greatest divorce horror movie (laughs) of all time. (laughs) I love divorce horror. I love relationship horror, romantic horror. It's hard to kind of um, to splice it down, but I'm going to say without question the greatest divorce horror. And this is like, from what I understand, kind of like um, Zulowski's divorce record. You know, you always have that, the legend of the the pop rock artists doing their divorce records. This is like the divorce movie. He was going through a divorce from uh, from an actress, actually, at the time that he made this. Um, so it's really, it seems really personal. This is now one of my favorite movies ever. I am sad to leave this movie behind. I've been watching it for two weeks. Um, I saw this last summer, like right around this time. And I had kind of a similar first impression. I was like, you know, I had been reading about this movie. When you are into this stuff, you always hear about possession and it's been out of print. You can't order a new, I don't think you can order a new DVD of this um, Metrograph 
did the restoration and put it on their site. Um, that's the only place you can see this movie. So I've been looking for it, and the first time I saw it, I, I it's so dense. This movie is thick as hell. Mm. There's just, like, there's so much to this movie. So initially I was like, yeah, this is great. You know, it's kind of a a wild body horror. It's, you know, Hellraiser, Heilraiser, uh, whatever you want to say. Um, and I, I didn't see it again because I knew that we would talk about it on the show. And so now going back, um, I did a, a technique that I use sometimes when I know how dense something is, and this is two hours, two, two hours and four minutes actually to be precise. Sometimes I'll go and I'll just kind of put it on a little bit more casually because I'm just trying to like get into the groove of it. I'm trying to get into the pace and the feel of it. I'm not trying to act like I'm going to a movie theater. I'm trying to like really sort of like understand how this movie moves and how it works. Um, so after doing that, I every time I watched it, I liked it more and more. And uh, now I would put it up there with any film. I love this movie so much. Um, Dave, you talked about some of the, the theological stuff that's going on, the geopolitical stuff. Like you said, every every setting in the film is like right next to the Berlin Wall. There's times where the main character, Mark, is looking out through his windows and uh, the guards on the wall seem to be almost looking back at him with binoculars, and he is a professional spy. Um, so there's that whole thing going on. Um, I'm excited to hear what everybody else thought about this movie. I don't think I share the same sentiment about this film that it's Trent, not the greatest that Trent of all time. does. Um, uh, what in the actual fuck was going on is like really the only question that I seem to be asking myself in every scene while watching this movie. I basically had to read the synopsis along with the film to understand what was going on, which, you know, makes me really thankful for the age that we live in now and that, you know, if I had seen this back in 81 when it came out, I would have had no idea what was going on at all. So it's very nice that I, I am able to um, have other people's, uh, you know, diagnosis of what was happening on the screen. So the ten let's talk about the tentacles for a second. You got this woman. This squid game. You could also call squid this squid games. games. Yeah. She had some squid games uh, this week. Um, <laughs> the tentacles also had big dick energy. Yeah. Yes, they did. They were it the seemed Pete like the tentacles Davidson were attached to a big <laughs> dick is what it looked like. That's Well, you first see it and it's just... I, I don't know. It, it was so creepy, but it was like funny too. It was definitely like the brood meets yeah. Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meets Kramer versus Kramer. Meets. Wow, yes. Wow. Thank you, Internet. <laughs> hey. Have you seen Kramer versus Kramer? I have, yeah. Antichrist. Uh, but they, yeah. I definitely thought Antichrist. So, um, yeah, so she's like banging this tentacle squid monster, uh, Pete Davidson energy thing going on. Um, while Dr. Grant from Jurassic Park is like, why does my wife want a divorce? Who's she fucking? Blah, blah, blah. I'm neglecting my child. Why did I name my child Bob? Like, at least call him Bobby. He's like a little kid. I don't... Anyway. Um, and then the, the doppelgangers... Doppelgangers. Show up. Big, yeah. Are they the squid games? I don't know. I was trying to figure it out. I thought maybe they would explain it at the end, but instead it just kind of didn't. I have, a th I have theories on that. I'm Again, I'm very excited to talk about this with you guys. 
because I knew that if anyone would know what was going on in this movie, hopefully it would be you guys. Um, but yeah, everyone in this just seems to have um, like absolutely lost their mind. The main actress killed it obviously but also like she annoyed me because she was just like screaming and flailing for two hours and then there was the weird subway scene oh, with all man. the drippings from the orifices <laughs> the best. um it just it was so erratic that it was so stressful and i just couldn't really focus on what they were trying to kind of come a- come across with um so maybe that's on me um maybe i should tried to listen to the dialogue a little bit more. Mm. Oh, um, um, subtitles are your friend on this one. They you, definitely you want were. those yeah. subtitles on because it's dialogue heavy. It is. So I much am dialogue. basically unable to watch a movie without subtitles now. Well, yeah, yeah but in the app, the um, whatever this is, what's the- Metrograph. Uh, Metrograph. Yeah. They didn't give me an option to turn subtitles on. So I watched the first half on my phone, like through the link that you sent, and I was reading the subtitles, and I finished it, on my big screen, and so I, for the, I had no idea what they were saying for like the rest of it. But I think Sam Neill, I don't know, he kind of wasn't like the, I preferred him in some other things, I think, in this one. You're a Jurassic Park kid, right? I love it, yeah. yeah. He's, you know, he'll be my Dr. Grant until I die. But yeah, even in, um, was he in fucking, um, what was the other spooky one he was in, the space one? He was in Event Horizon. Horizon. There it is. In the Mouth of Madness. In the Mouth yes. of Madness. Yeah. yeah. He was great in those. I don't know. He was very like, me in this. Anyway, Kevin, what did you think? I've previously mentioned on the show that we watched this last year. I think Trent and I did after one of Dave's patented uh, harassment campaigns. Mm. And I did not digest this movie properly. Because when I went back and watched this for this week's episode, I didn't remember like 90% of what was happening. But I think that's the problem, like you said, Kat. Back in the day, 1981 particularly, like, you're going in blind. Like, maybe you catch Ebert's review of it before you go in. Or that's you all you get, have. Like, a yeah. tag, like, that's why taglines were so, like, big in mm-hmm. trailers and things. And this was a video nasty. It was very much maligned when it first came out. And now, like, watching it, like you, I found myself being like, Wikipedia. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I had to go back. And, you know, Dave picked two two hour plus movies this week. So the fact that you were able to go on a journey, Dave, from like Cronenberg to comedy has me very worried about you um, and your schedule. But I've, I had to, like, because it's very, very different. Like once you watch it for the first time and you kind of think you know what's going on, because on the surface you would just look at it as a really bad relationship that is just like careening out of control. This poor kid, Bob, I mean, the first time you see him, he has like fucking jelly all over his face. Like <laughs> like it's a tiny Tim situation. It's terrible. And I, I didn't even pick up. I don't think the first time I saw this, I picked up on the doppelganger. I think that, like, went right over my fucking head. Yeah. Like, I probably watched it thinking, like, oh, wait, so there's, like, another... Ver-. Like, it, it's very, mm. very confusing. I knew it was her because of the lips. And, and yes, and Isabel... So Isabel Ajani is Anna, who is Sam Neill, who plays Mark. That's the wife. That's the one that wants the divorce. And then he meets Bob, their son's school teacher, Helen, who is also played by Isabel Ajani, only with green eyes, and is much more like 
She's the the like virgin she's housewife I- kind of ideal. I think yes. in yeah. Mark's mind, yes, the ideal will do whatever. I mean, the first time that she comes to the house, Nurturing. he's giving Bob a bath from like the fucking jelly that he's covered in, and then Heinrich, who is Mark's wife's, you know, new big dick energy boyfriend, yeah. shows up, and he just tells the teacher, "Can you just finish Bob's bath?" So who the weird. Fuck does that. And then Heinrich shows up and it's just like all over Mark, like basically telling him like how much better he is at being a lover. Uh, but none of them are good at watching this child. Like I'm very, <laughs> I know this is the early 80s, but I'm very concerned about the portrayal of parenting uh, in this movie. However, what everybody else has already kind of alluded to or outright said it's some of the most visceral acting performances that I have ever seen. Yeah. Uh, so, Kat, when you're saying like you get annoyed, it's this movie makes you start to feel things that you don't want to feel. Mm-hmm. So that would be annoying to me when I start feeling things I don't aren't particularly convenient like at that. the time. Yeah. That's annoying. Yeah. Um, but if you lean into it. Uh, like apparently Dave finally got to comedy. So like, hey, this, this is like <laughs> therapy for you, dude. Uh, when you lean into it, it's very, very visceral. Um, Sam Neill is not the Sam Neill that you know from any of the blockbuster movies that he's been in. This is a very young Sam Neill. Um, and like here, as we watch it, he goes on a three-week drinking bender that is pretty remarkable. So was uh, the child just eating jelly for three weeks? I just want to know. Well, we don't really know when she left Bob there to go to her weird second apartment. Well, I think for my ability to sleep at night, we're going to say like a day or two. Okay. Uh, mommy said she was going to be right back. Uh, either way, th- this is incredible. I think it's definitely something that, even if you're not like a genre fan, like a horror fan, th- this has long been debated whether it's a horror movie or not. But just any cinephile, this one should be one that you have to track down and check out. And I, I know I'm the guy that always says this. You got to watch it multiple times. Oh, absolutely. You have to give no this. question about it. And like you said, Trent, this is actually one that might be better to watch, sit with it for a while, and then revisit. You know, after you've had some time to think about it, and that could be a week or it could be a year. You know, it was a year between viewings of this for me, and then I did, you know, feel compelled to watch it quickly a second time. Obviously, with the massive pressure that our podcast puts on all of us um but no this is this is a great one dave i'm finally glad that we got to uh to properly give it uh, a little spotlight on the show there's a lot of uh misdirection in this movie and i think that uh like isabel ajani's over-the-top performance and and sam neill's like every time they react to to anything is always like so extreme and it's misdirecting you from some of the subtleties that are kind of laying out what's happening. Um, but there are lots of little uh, like clues to, to look into other things. And I think that's why it's interesting many times. But I honestly, the first time I watched it, Kat, I had the same reaction that you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just like, this is fucked up. But what just happened? Um, <laughs> but Isabella Gianni's performance is so incredibly insane. I've never seen anyone just like go that hard mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> like, no. uh, and I don't know if I want to again. Well, it's, that was it's, enough. It's, it's rumored. I couldn't find the interview, but there's a rumor 
that she tried to kill herself after this movie. Oh. And allegedly there's an interview with Zalowski where he confirms that. It's I Zulowski, can't find it. So way, it I mean, again, it's the internet. Not Zulowski. You guys would say Zulowski. Zulowski? Yeah. Oh, oh wow. wow. Pardon me. Wow. That's <laughs> just, you know. Pardon. And Sam Neill has gone on record as saying that this is one of the most difficult uh, performances that he's ever had to give. And I can see it. I mean, it is like you can tell, like Trent said, like it's Zulowski wrote it going through a divorce. And it's almost like he's just amplifying everything that he was feeling and bringing back like every fight that he had with his wife as they were parting and. I can't imagine these performances weren't egged on by him as a director. I don't think there's, I don't think I've ever seen anything more unhinged in terms of the performances of the actors than this movie. They're both just over the top. It's so amazing to watch. And the other thing about that is that the camera is swirling around the characters the whole time. The cinematography in this is so bizarre where, so not only are they like losing their minds and acting so crazy, but the camera is like spinning around the subject uh, at through large parts of this movie. It's a lot to untangle. I, I can't say I have any answers, but- um, I need some answers. There, there are a few movies that I've had as much fun, at least like looking for those answers or trying to figure them out. The doppelgangers. Yes. I, th- I think that I know- a little bit what's going on there, or at least what I think is going on. Okay. Um, there's like a, a good and a bad doppelganger of each person because at the end, the creature is the doppelganger. Right. Yes, right. but... And, and of Mark. So... Of Mark, right. Are there other squid and creatures? It, that is the big question because... Is it? Because the teacher, when it, when it Bob's ends, teacher, is a doppelganger as well. And the doppelgangers have these... Big green eyes, very bright green eyes. Right. And at the end, it basically, doesn't it end on Isabel Ajani with her, it really focuses on, on the a green eyes. shot of her face with right. her green as eyes. as the teacher, and the, the Mark doppelganger yes. is at the door. Helen. Yeah. I think that the doppelgangers represent uh, idealistic versions of what they expect of each other. And the, right. uh, the creature is symbolizes like the rot that begins to grow in toxic relationships uh, that doesn't... Okay. You know what I mean? That's something. That, ma- that makes That's sense. Like I said before, like mold. You know, okay. the... Um, like, yeah. I noticed the Mark doppelganger at the end, he has his shirt unbuttoned down to the bottom just like Heinrich. Oh, yeah. <gasps> if you notice, swag on. Mark's doppelganger has that swag. That and he, yeah, and he does have swag. Then there are a few uh, parallels that I don't understand. There's the shot that we just saw where he's... Uh, like rubbing Bob's back, and there's an exact shot okay. of that with him doing the same thing with his wife. Yep, with Anna. And that I, was kind of weird. I understand. And then yeah. when he has the meeting, he doesn't have very many uh, encounters with his spy bosses or whatever, the FBI, CIA, whatever it is. But uh, when he does, there's a hard cut right at the end where one of the guys says, Is the subject wearing pink socks? And then it cuts. Did you guys get the pink socks? And then at the very yeah. end, uh, okay. one of the detectives that comes in in the stairway and the murder and all that is just running by the stairway with pink He's, socks. He on. stops and he 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 um, messes with the shoe and it shows he has the pink socks. So that and that was actually, but that was one of the guys that were supposedly from from Mar- uh, Mark's agency. I thought right. So at the end, you see the pink socks, which was Mark's original spy subject. And then the other thing that I didn't notice that Dave mentioned to me 
the um, the young girl that helps Mark Stoppelganger go through the, the roof and escape at the end, that's the same young girl that Anna was torturing in the dance studio video. Mm, the oh. oh. That's the same girl. Shit. And like, why was she doing that? So this is a big spy conspiracy oh, movie. Well, yeah, I yeah, she yeah, was doing yeah, that. Yeah. There's, there's that too, but she was doing that to that girl, I think, because of like, it's talking about, it's her expressing her repression. Right. And how repressed she's been through this relationship and the, the expectation that I was talking about. And I think that she's trying to like show the girl somehow like this is what you're going to need to do to get do through it. life and be perfect and be strong. And I mean, as far as the cinematography goes, it was great. I did really like the, the breaking the fourth wall shots. I thought they were pretty effective and kind of made it creepier. With the fourth wall thing, it was kind of interesting. Somebody at some point delivers uh, a... A, a tape to Mark's doorstep and he watches the tape and I believe in, in the tape you see that the person filming it I believe is Heinrich, right? That's what I thought. Because this affair has been going on for a year. So Mark is watching this tape that somebody has mysteriously left uh, on his doorstep and the tape is of Heinrich filming Anna at the dance studio where she is apparently a, a teacher and it shows her torturing this young girl, but then she gives this whole speech to the camera. Mm -hmm. I think it's a speech to Heinrich where she says, I'm with you because you say I for me, which is a really what? interesting line of dialogue. She repeats it twice. There, there are so many like lines of dialogue in this. There's so many quotes that are so loaded. Would she say something like, uh, I, I only own you because I don't claim to or something like right. that? Right, right. Um, He's like the he, ultimate yeah. rebound. He he's the guy, guy. This is the guy you don't want to go up against in Heinrich. Okay, if you're in a relationship and and uh, your your other uh, meets Heinrich, you are in trouble because Heinrich is like this very evolved, very zen. Mark even says to him some at at one point something about like your yin yang balls dripping from your zen brain. <laughs> very, and he, he comes in and he wants to be friends with Mark. Mark tries to confront him at his house and Heinrich just lets him in and says that like they're together in this and like he grabs his hands and pulls him to his chest like they're going to be like friends smooch. and then eventually he has enough and kicks his ass with some kung fu. Heinrich uh, is so not zen though because like he just beats his ass. Well, he had to because Mark started attacking him. But then that when was Heinrich his shows up at Mark's house... Then he's unhinged. That's one of my favorite that scenes is, when it's one of the most drugs. So though, that scene <laughs> annoyed me because I was like, "Why is he acting this way?" Because because he's found out now that he's not the only other lover. Heinrich finds out that there is a third lover, and he loses all his right. Zen shit. Goes right out the window, yeah. and he starts and then, freaking out. Well, but I thought like he got injured like right when he found out that he wasn't the only. Oh no, he does no. see it once, and then he catches her and it stabs him, banging yeah. tentacle monster. Screaming almost. Yeah, what the? What and was then that? Heinrich is like really mad at Mark for not liking him. Like, dude, you stole his wife. <sighs> He's like, why don't you like me? That's so on and brand. Bare That's chest. so on brand. Is Heinrich is the weirdest character in this movie. I, I love. It. He's one of my the favorite cinematic character characters of all time. One of my favorite romantic rivals in any movie <sighs> ever. Yeah, Heinrich could start a cult in like a day. <laughs> I wanted I, to talk to yeah. you about the redistribution of our positions in this <laughs> fundamentally vulgar structure, <laughs> the triangle. <laughs> it's just like dropping Which is actually like that a square, Heinrich. <laughs> just wait for it. Um, but Heinrich does display at the at the end 
once Heinrich finds out what Anna's really doing with the squid and the murders and all that, because she eventually, by the end of this, she's killing people. And we're not worried about spoilers because you need all the all the spoilers you can get going yeah, into yeah, this. Yeah, you're going to be on the Wikipedia um, page in real time while but, you're watching uh, this movie. Don't worry about it. Mark just wants to cover it all up. Mark is still so obsessed with like getting back with Anna somehow and making this work that he's trying to cover up the murders. And Heinrich is insisting that they have to go to the police. Wait, they have to do something. Trent, weirdest makeup sex of all time uh, in yes, this movie. Yes. Wait, oh, wait, I'll, I'll do you. It's the you greatest just, makeup just sex scene Trent. of all time. <laughs> Because the second one is Trent's that time. That, well, <laughs> that's what happens in these things. I mean, this is a, just such a uh, an accurate picture of the, you know, dissolution of a romantic relationship. I mean, the most insane things happen, and people do the craziest things, and they're cutting themselves with electric knives, and they're you know, and there's murders, but then they're just having sex, and then it's like you call it off for a minute. I mean. <laughs> It was Truth. uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't know. I should have known once the uh, electric saw came into play that it was going to be a very odd movie. Well, the the thing about uh, some of the encrypted things in this movie is that this is another one that I was reading about for a long time before I actually got to see it. So I went into it expecting like over the top unhinged performances. Mm-hmm. I went in expecting to be confused. Uh, have a non-linear storyline and my only criticism of this movie if there were one would be the timeline of some of the things like there was a little confusion you guys were talking earlier about him going on his drinking binge and her going away and him doing stuff and i think that gets that, um, a little weird. well I, I think marge is marge is anna's best friend and i believe that during the drinking binge marge is watching bob i think right the, the, there's a lady with a cast that is yeah. clearly in love with Mark as well, uh, a little flirty. Yeah, but she also says she despises him. They they have that that like that weirdly um, antagonistic relationship that you might have with your lover's best friend, especially when you're going through the breakup, where like you hate each other for for various reasons. But at the same time, you're sort of at war together too. And so Marge does things like gives him Heinrich's phone number. Um, and kind of facilitates, you know, when he's begging her, but then they go back to hating each other. I don't know if they had sex or not. I think it's implied that they might have had a little romantic night there where, where she's at the apartment. It's unclear, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that. I didn't pick up on a lot that you you guys are teaching me a lot. I, I've been immersed in this movie. I love it so much. There's just there's so much going on here. It's it's almost hard to talk about. You have to watch oh, Possession. So one thing that confused me is at some point a private investigator comes into the picture because Mark is, you know, just getting increasingly paranoid and he wants to know where the hell his wife Anna is going. And so the PI is actually how we get to the weird Hellraiser apartment and then she dispatches of the PI and then the PI has a lover and he reaches out to Mark to be like, hey, uh, so this is where the gun gets introduced. Did the gun just like totally miss her when he was like defending himself? I guess in the so. Apartment? Yeah. It looks he like does it shoot hit her, her but yeah. she's, she shows no signs of no. a gun injury. No. Uh, we also saw her in Osferatu. Right. The Werner Herzog. Yeah. And she, she won the um, oh, the uh, 34th uh, Cannes Film Festival Best Actress Award for this movie. For this, this and like... she's also the only person to win 
the basically the French version of the Academy Award five times. Wow. And we, we keep talking about the monster, but Carlo Rambaldi did the monster effects, and he has an Academy Award for 77's King Kong, for Alien, and for E.T., Wow, no kidding. I didn't know that. It is yeah, an amazing right. monster. The monster looks great in this. Very it evolves creepy. in a very cool way. I think another part of the um, the espionage and the like geopolitical level of this movie, at the very end, there's the sound of a, of a bombing air raid. During that climactic scene, all of a sudden, all, you just hear like bombs falling. There's a war outside. What does that mean? I don't really know, but it's definitely important. It's mm-hmm. Well, I'm confused as to why Bob didn't want Helen, so Anna's doppelganger, to open the door. He was very... Because, so yeah, Mark's doppelganger, yeah, yeah. The, the creature has evolved into Mark. He shows up at the apartment. Right. And he is like immediately like, don't open the door and yeah. has a full-on tantrum. It's kind of a little Jack Torrance thing. Like it's he, the kid knows that... Oh, so this is The Shining it's, too. To some extent, the I felt like the, the Shining as well. The kid had some sort of like, yes, it is. Um, he had some sort of like paranormal knowledge that the creature outside this door that looks like Dad is definitely not Dad. I found it wow, unnerving. Another level of sadness. <laughs> I know. I found it unnerving that uh, Bob, when he's playing all the time, he's always making like siren noises and bomb noises the yeah, whole movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's always like, Whew. He's always in the tub. Why is he, he is. always in the tub? And he goes, when he doesn't want her to open the door, he goes and throws himself face down. He goes and drowns himself. Yeah. I think that all the tub scenes, I think, are like a, a baptism type reference. Oh, it's more God's. No, I'm just making that up. I, I don't know. Usually, oh. usually the theological <laughs> guy, and I got very, <laughs> so much less than you guys did from this movie. That is why the disease we can reach God. <laughs> second film I chose this week is The Innocents, a Norwegian film from 2021, not to be confused with the American film from 61 with the same title. It's also about children with telekinetic powers. Hmm. I haven't seen that, but every time... Spoiler alert. Well, every time I, I, I looked up uh, The Innocents, I would always see that, so I kind of like looked into it a little bit just online. But this, The Innocents, uh, is directed by... Eskil Vote. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know if that's right. Nice. It stars an ensemble cast of children that are absolutely slaying at acting. Um, it's set in Norway and is basically about some outcast kids that discover they have t- telekinetic powers. Um, it seems like it comes from this like certain spot in the woods that they're hanging out. Um, and then it just becomes that they have these powers everywhere. Um all of the impulses and curiosities and emotions of children are like magnified. And I love that it's titled The Innocence uh, because like I feel like it's saying that like we're naive to the evil of children. Um, it reminds me of early like Harmony Kareen. Like if the characters from Gummo or kids had superpowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kids, kids meets the shining. Right. 
Uh, and on, on paper, this would read like a fun, like for the whole family type of Stranger Things kind of film, but it's way darker than that. Is maybe the cruelest animal death scene I've ever mm. seen. Oh my god! Yeah. And they don't <laughs> hold back at all, uh, killing kids in pretty brutal ways. Uh, it's very dark. It does star kids, but um, I I love this movie. Um, I it, I saw it twice uh, in the last like month or so, and it got better the second time as well. Yeah, this is a, a prime rental or VOD, I should say. I'm sure you can find it elsewhere. Six ninety nine. New movie, so Dave, you mentioned it. It came out in 2021, but we only got it here in the States uh, a few months ago. I had never heard of this, and I consider myself someone that keeps up on like the horror news, but I don't know. I just glossed over this. Maybe because, like Dave, if you if you do read like a synopsis of this, it sounds like a uh, uh, superhero like origin mm-hmm. story. Right. Um, and you're like just like, okay, I've seen enough of this. Um, I will say about this, it's very, very slow. So I know that I have the reputation for complaining about movie lengths. Uh, could be an attention span thing. Uh, but th- I'm not 100% convinced that this movie needed to be over two hours long. There are some very drawn-out scenes. That being said, it has been a very long time since I was affected by a scene like the cat scene. Mm. Yeah. That was, again, you know... Eskil vote, however you say his name, draws scenes out in this movie. Some of them very, very effectively. Some of them I felt just filler. This one is like, come on. It is heartbreaking. It is one of the cruelest scenes I've seen in a movie. I don't even like cats that much. I'm a huge <laughs> animal lover, but like, yeah, you know, cats, like they're they're not even maybe in my top ten. But this was heartbreaking. Uh, the acting, like Dave mentioned, very good for very small children. And the the whole title and how the, the director sort of like wove everything in with losing your innocence and also like growing to understand your power. Like I liked that theme a lot, how like when you're a kid, you could be really good at something or you could discover something and you're still too dumb and just inherently narcissistic to know what to really do with that power. So you could be really good at manipulating people. Uh, you could be really good at you know all kinds of things. And the three or the four main kids that that were revolving around here is Ida, who is very young. I think she's like nine in the movie. You have Anna, who is her nonverbal autistic sister, who is older. You have Ben who I'm guessing is somewhere like around 10, 11. And then you have Aisha, who I'm guessing is, uh, again, like nine or something. Like they're very, they're very small children. And they act their asses off. And basically they come together and they discover that each of them has th- these weird powers. Um, I'm going to rely on you guys, again, for your observations. Because I'm not clear as to like what everyone's powers were in certain por- points of the movie. Mm-hmm. All it makes clear is that they're much stronger together. And most of them are using their powers for very good things. And one of them is just punch drunk mm-hmm. on discovering their power and really fucking abusing it and getting back at the world for what is a perceived, you know, hey, I did not get what I what I should be out of this world. Um, it's it deals with, you know, coming of age with bullying. Um, and then, I mean, even the cat scene isn't one of the. That's the cruelest scene in the movie, but it's not necessarily some of the meanest. 
um, there are some really shocking scenes of the, in this movie. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the cat scene is the cruelest scene. If we really want to talk about yeah. all the things that happen in this movie, I mean, it's uh, it's bad, but. Uh, but I mean, overall, this is a, a really, really good one. I got super let the right one in vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, super Stephen King vibes. Like very some Stephen of his King. Non, yeah. yeah, some of his non-horror stuff. It's the like Norwegian this. Stephen King's like Stand by Me. Yep, uh, horror. Yep. And it's it's kind of paced like a Stephen King novel, where you're like, I could use 800 less pages. Um, <laughs> but no, overall, this is a great one, Dave. Like, thanks for digging this out and uh, and putting it in front of us. Yeah, this is definitely a weird one and definitely hard to watch at times, but I thought it was really great. Um, very effective, very a very powerful one um, that I think really wrapped up. You know, not every movie we see gets wrapped up nicely in a bow, like with a bow on top. And sometimes you don't want that. Like sometimes, you know, a, a weirder ending is better, but I thought this one really wrapped up super well and I felt I felt glad for having watched it. Um, usually things that are movies that include, you know, people doing harm towards people with developmental disabilities and things like that, like very much irk me. And I tend to stay away from those just because I'm like, I don't know. I don't really want to feel those feelings. You know, I could watch a bloody, you know, slasher movie instead, instead of like actually kind of delving into my feelings towards certain things. But you know what? This one had those moments, you know, she obviously was very mean to her sister in the beginning and kind of could see what she could get away with, you know, physically harming her, you know? So you think that she's going to be the really bad baddie of this one. Like I immediately was like, well, this is like the fucking omen. Like there, here's this shitbird who's like an asshole and is, um, you know, purposefully hurting her older sister but then our friend the little dude ben is that his name he comes in hot with the cat and then also the other stuff that he does with his little that's all i just thought like when they were having like the fight at the end is like that south park episode where they're like um but yeah i uh i i think it was a good you know, rule of thumb that whenever anyone, you know, murders a pet, they're probably not going to be the protagonist of the story. So I assumed that he would, you know, kind of end up being the, the bad one. And he was and he did it very well. Um, it was uh, it was very interesting, too, because you I don't think you really knew the um, extent of their powers um, going into it. And then once it kind of evolved and you're like, oh, he's using, you know, telekinesis to put you know, these images in other people's brains, it kind of made a lot more sense and kind of and wrapped it up. And going into it, like you said, like I thought it was going to be like reading the the synopsis. I was like, oh, great. It's going to be like the Avengers, but with like kids. That's going to be fun. Nice pick, Dave. Like, thanks. Yeah, very <laughs> not Dave-like. Yeah, I was like, all right, cool. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I'm very glad that this was the other pick that we had this week because this one, it was equally as intense but I think a little bit easier to kind of understand uh, what was going on. I liked this one a lot. It was kind of hard because I was so obsessed with the possession. It was uh, it was a little <laughs> bit hard, honestly, to to completely switch gears for the innocence. Um, you know, I did have some problems. I thought that this was very well paced. I didn't think it dragged at all. I thought that I appreciated that it gets right down to business right away. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait very long before Ben shows Ida. Um, what he's working on, and he he's not really 
fully aware um, in the beginning of the of how much power he has. He's just learning to move a bottle cap. It has to be very light. He, like he can't do a rocket first. He can only move a bottle cap. And um, what happens is that all the kids sort of develop these powers through the movie. They don't all start being like total fire starters. Again, very Stephen King. Um, but uh, one of the neighbors, Aisha, she can communicate with um, with Anna, who is the, the child, the older child with autism. Um, and then Anna can communicate with her. They can hear each other. And then Ben can also hear both of them. So all the kids are sort of like working this out amongst themselves. That way we can talk to each other um, without speaking. We can talk to each other for, without seeing each other. Ben can move stuff. What else can we do? Can the rest of us move things? Um, I did think, Kevin, you mentioned the uh, Marvel origin story. I did think it got a little too much Marvel origin story um, at the end. You know, while I was watching it, I was like, oh man, you know, more, you know, European art house horror. I love this stuff. But I felt like the end got a little Marvel for me where it wrapped up um, a little cleanly. Like it didn't have the emotional punch. And again, I only saw it the one time, but I felt like in a, a movie where multiple children die, <laughs> You could, and you guys are talking about the cat. What about What's the kid it? that gets his like leg uh, twisted into a, a compound fracture on the? What about the the little girl that's stabbed to death by her mother? I mean, there's way more. There's yeah. much that was, worse. That was shocking. But I, but I think that's part of the problem to me. If there is one, and, and I like this movie, and I would recommend it, uh, and I, I'd be interested in going again. But I feel like f- for what is presented there is kind of a lack of punch um, at the end. And I felt like when it all wrapped up, it was basically just saying um, that, that uh, Ida found a way to appreciate her sister mm-hmm. with autism. Because at the beginning of the movie, the main conflict is between Ida and her feelings of um, rejection, jealousy, and annoyance that she has to deal with this older sister who has autism and she has to kind of help caretake because, you know, even though she's a kid, uh, a lot of this falls on her as the sibling. And so... Hereditary. That Yeah, very hereditary as well. And, and I felt like the end almost wrapped it up a little too neatly in this feeling of like, hey... The sister, the, the the sister with a developmental disability has powers that you don't understand, that has a consciousness that you don't understand. That's I think the main reveal yeah. to me was that when when it's revealed that Anna does have a consciousness, she does feel pain, she talks, she can be um, helped to talk if you know her language, if you can get on her wavelength, she is not um catatonic she is a a perfectly 100 percent feeling and thinking person and she's just in a realm that is easy to dismiss if you're not in that realm i thought that was the main message and i thought it was maybe a little bit neat at the end like i i would i would have appreciated more of a gut punch i wanted to feel worse you know by the end of this but sometimes it's nice to not feel completely terrible after watching a movie huh i guess yeah i feel like this movie sent us down that path and it was a little bit kind of non-expected because of the extreme tone yeah but uh i i the pacing the first time i watched it, i was like wow this is a really fucking long movie and then the second time i watched it i the pacing was like kids tooling around outside bored on a summer day right you know what i mean like and i like how the viewer doesn't get many uh like any perspective from the parents 
and like so it kind of ends up feel like like you're running around with these dirty kids because yeah, yeah. you don't know what the parents are doing if they're even doing anything if they're trying to like you know until you know there's a hospital scene where some of the parents turn up and all that but it's very much you're in the perspective of the kids out in the dirt in the forest messing around being And that's poor. very Stephen yeah. King. That's that's, oh, that's yeah, like very sure. stand by yeah. me like you're yeah. you're sort of in on this whole secret life of the children and I, I thought that was one of the messages too is this the secret world that the children inhabit that the adults have no idea about that is far more sophisticated and far more involved and in some cases more depraved than their you know their parents would ever have a clue about what's going on in the woods when these kids are hanging out all of this is another example of bad parenting so both movies this week had that like these kids explain away some shit that if I were their parent, I'd be like, no, 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 that's not going to cut it for me. Can we get a little more into this? Mm-hmm. You know, at some point, a kid literally pushes someone off a bridge. And the mom's like, can you tell me what happened? She's like, I don't know. That was okay. the part. Let's have dinner. the part where I felt like a kid, too, because when she was having to answer the questions, like she kind of thought maybe she got away with it or something. She's just in a hospital bed. Or maybe she had forgotten. And as soon as they start, like, grilling her about that i got like this nervous feeling like what are we gonna say what are we gonna tell the parents you know what i mean like yeah but then she she almost it seems like she does get away with it i thought it would have been better if she had gone to jail i I thought that she was innocent i yeah i thought that she was going to sacrifice her i thought that her life was over she fucked up the plan it was a great plan the way that she was going to stop ben Mm -hmm. from being mean as she puts it how do you to her mom, what do you do if somebody is mean? Yeah. And so she makes this great plan. I didn't really get her plan at first. I was like, wow, that's really smart. And then I thought at one point the story was going to be uh, Ida sacrificing the rest of her life for that one act, but it doesn't seem like that's what happens. So I will, I will sort of debate you saying it wraps up like a little too neatly. Yeah. Because I actually think it wraps up completely heartbroken in that when Aisha who has been the one that is really bringing out Anna's powers. Right. So when she dies, you know, Anna really only has like, I think a certain amount of time where I think she's still drawing from Aisha's powers. Yeah. Because she's kind of helpless without her. And at the end of the movie, she's completely reverted to like nonverbal scratching on her thing. Right. Which to me was like heartbreaking. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I thought that this was like, you know, this movie is really, really dense and sad. But it's like super hopeful, like but, in in a mean yeah. ways. Would have been too much to cut off her head, though. Yeah. But but <laughs> yeah, Kevin, but I, I, so I thought it was going to wrap up with like Anna being like. But her, but the, but her family now knows her inner life. Her family now yeah. doesn't think of her as, as someone who can't feel pain. There are these scenes where she, where her sister pinches her. She can't. Her family has now seen her speak has now seen her have emotions and and communicate with them and feel pain. And so now I feel like they've gotten a window into her world that they didn't have before. And the final scene, they're hugging. I mean, I thought this was Euro art house, man. I don't (laughs) want to see hugging at the end of this movie. (laughs) Listen. Okay, that's fair. It's also uh, reminded me of the, uh, the tension between the siblings in Burning Bright. About the, with the tiger in the house and all that. Oh, that they, was a great one, huh? They use that more. They use that more uh, in this. Like, there wasn't as much like frustration from the viewer with the 
the person that was autistic, they weren't like putting us in suspenseful situations where they couldn't do anything. Yeah, like where this kid's yeah. watching cartoons and just right. like unable yeah. yeah. to not yell at the TV while they the did tiger's with that behind them. Is the other kids were exploiting that she, you know, didn't feel pain or, but she did, mm-hmm. and they just she couldn't express it. Um, but they were they they leaned into that more than. Yeah, I would say it was a really nice like um, spookier. Stand by me, coming of age, telepathic. Yeah. Too nice. Tale. That that's the final nail on the coffin right there. When Cat <laughs> says it was really nice, come on. Um, the the, dire- the director of this uh, vote, oh, he you. he co-wrote. Um, he had two movies at Cannes last year. He had this, and he co-wrote the worst person in the world, which made a big splash. I don't know if you guys have heard of that movie. It was Oscar nominated. Yeah, made a big splash. He co-wrote that with um, this person that he, I guess he works a lot with um it's um Wahin Trier I think is the guy's name they they did a movie called Thelma I, yeah, the, I know about Thelma have you yeah. seen Thelma I haven't seen it but I I looked into you that you know about yeah. Thelma no I didn't know about it until until it looks I was good. looking yeah, up this yeah, movie I so see yeah that. I want to check that one out that seems horror adjacent as well it is yeah also uh Ida and the actress that plays her mom so her and Anna's mom in the movie uh Ida and the mom uh real life mother daughter Oh wow. oh, wow. Family film, see? Nice family film. Uh, <laughs> it just keeps getting further away from I never would have thought that you would have had that takeaway from this movie just because of the cat thing. I was actually like, kind of like worried that you were, you were oh. going to be really mad about that. No, I mean, whatever. At this point, I've... Literally know. the week that my dog died, the, a dog that looked just like him was eating someone's dick on a movie that we were watching. <laughs> you know? What movie was that? Uh, that was um, teeth. Yes. Oh, was teeth. teeth was, yeah. Yeah. Right. The Roddy eats the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. I also do appreciate the fact that uh, there is no backstory as to what these powers are, where they came from, nope. how these kids came together. Like you said, Trent. Like you, you thought it was like perfectly paced. It really does get right down to business. Where like the family's moving into this new apartment complex. Ida meets Ben almost instantly. And all of a sudden, he's just like, like oh, "Watch kids this have magic powers." Yeah, <laughs> uh, that that was pretty cool. You know, we don't need. We always debate like whether we want backstory on certain characters or certain uh, arcs. Uh, this was one I think that benefited, you know, from from not having that. I like that they were humble with the special effects. They yeah. didn't like go over the top. There wasn't like lasers like when we compare it to Marvel. <laughs> we don't mean yeah, like it was that. like fucking bright burn. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't stuff. You know, glowing and no, all that but I, I thought it it might have over relied a little bit on just two kids furrowing their brows at each other from across. Like, <laughs> right. there was a lot of that. Like, well, but there's also like like Dave, you mentioned Stranger Things, and there is kind of like the upside down like yeah. in Stranger mm-hmm. Things, where yeah. like yep. Ben can put people in like a mental prison. Yeah, that okay. was very for- effectively. That done. was weird. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very effective. That's I, I forgot about that. So yeah, His not only can too. Ben move objects, and not only can he like make someone fall down and break their leg. He can actually like control someone for a minute, and at one point he starts trying to make people kill other people. Mm-hmm. Oh, he succeeds! Which puts Ida in he jeopardy. Try. Yes, he, yes, <laughs> yes. He's a great villain. <laughs> he is. He really yeah. is. It's really creepy yeah. having a kid that young be like that fucking sociopathic. Yeah, because you start off with him like right off the bat, you know, being like, "Yeah, fuck this cat." Um, but then also you get you then um, you know later in the movie you delve kind of into his home life, and obviously he has like an absent mother. Right. You know, she's like off 
smooching dudes probably yeah, like he making makes them hot dogs for absent. dinner oh he definitely Ooh. does <laughs> that's when i was that's when like i you know obviously the cat died and i was like okay he's not a cool dude and then that happened i'm like wow super not cool doesn't dude. even call the cops no like, but after that too they let you go a little period of time so like he offs his mom in this like ridiculous sequence of like telekinesis in the kitchen and i'm like where the fuck is his mom because they let you go a while and then they just show this quick scene where he's in the forefront uh, in focus and in the background, out of focus, is the mom's body Still on the kitchen floor just, there. just with yeah. dish rags over it. Like, That's where I thought I was in my wheelhouse of like super brutal, depressing foreign horror. And I felt like <laughs> it, it didn't really have the full guts to, to end it there. It had to give me a little bit too much uh, sweet and sappy wrap up. Next week... Kevin is uh, taking us on a trip down under. We're doing... Uh, Which, hey, by the way, I never knew that Sam Neill was from New Zealand. It's our first ever Australian week. We've talked about Australian movies before, but uh, we're doing an Aussie week. We're going to talk about Wolf Creek, and we're going to talk about The Babadook. Two favorites of mine that we have not yet touched upon. I don't know where those... Where are those right now? Do you know? Yeah, The Babadook right now is on Shutter. And oh, okay. Wolf Creek is on Tubi, so sorry about the ads. Can I'm you sure view you can it? rent it if you want to. This is a joke. 